Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and Gray. All right. Welcome, folks. Today, we've got a special episode wrapping up Season 4 of Inbound Agency Journey. It's just Gray and I here today, and we are going to run through some highlights from the last 11 episodes in this season, and then we're going to uh, share a little bit of it about the process that we've gone through at Guava Box and here at Do Inbound and growing our team with some of the lessons that we've learned through that process. So, Gray, are you ready to go today? Man, I am ready and excited. That's what I like, my man. So, let's kick this off, Gray. What were some of your takeaways from this past season? Yeah, so I kind of I got this broken down into a whole bunch of different sections based on what people talked about. But man, starting from the top of the season where we talked with the very first episode in this season, episode 35 was with Trish from Media Junction and talked about their team. But one of the things that stuck out to me from a couple of the folks who we talked to, really everybody, but just why do we do what we do? And Trish had a great story of how she got to where she was. And then the emphasis that they've since put on culture and building the place that they want to work at. And so I think starting from there, and then we, we got really in depth in a couple episodes into the hiring process and especially last week's with Carl, where he broke down this kind of whole process. And we talked with Michael Reynolds from spin web who brought up like the spot call and the test project and um, just all the different ways that people approached hiring. I, I think there were some really high quality things at least that I took away that were new ideas and ways to kind of mesh ideas that would be helpful um, I mean there's so many like Bob and Natalie from Impact talking about the onboarding process and if you haven't heard that one yet go back to episode 37 and listen to the way that they break down the onboarding process and then their in-depth performance reviews which kind of then leads into like once you have these people on the team and they've been onboarded how do you take care of them and how does the whole team work together and I think that's where the bulk of this season that's where the meat of the time they actually spend working is and that's where the meat of the season was um so i think there's a ton of good stuff kind of on all aspects of the finding people recruiting people hiring people and retaining people side of things here from this season so that wasn't one takeaway that was kind of some of the highlights (laughs) and how i think about this season what sticks out to you yeah, I was looking at this. I was looking back at everyone we've talked to, and I was thinking, like, what interview would I pay to listen to? What insight was that valuable? And I think the process that Bob and Natalie broke down in episode thirty-seven is amazing, um, and it it just makes me think, Gray. When when I go back to the beginning and when we started Guava Box, how many like phases of thought that we've gone through, or different mindsets that we've gone through, because. When we first started, we were just trying to figure out who we were, and that was like our initial phase of development. And then once we decided we wanted to be an inbound marketing agency, we were trying to decide, well, how do we get clients? How do we sell something? How do we sell our first retainer? And that was a second mindset. And then third, once we actually had a few retainers, we started thinking like, okay, now that we've got them, how do we service them really well so they actually get the results? How do we deliver on all that we promised? And how do we keep them and make them happy? And that was the kind of the third phase of thought. 
Now, once you've sold a few retainers and you've got a process going in place, you're trying to think like, well, how do I scale this thing now? So it's almost the fourth frame of thought as the business grows. You get to that point where it's like, I need to bring in other people beyond myself and maybe one or two co-pilots here. I need to start growing and I need a system in place to grow that. And so with Bob and Natalie, that that's right in the thick of that fourth phase where not only do we need to hire people, but we need to become efficient at hiring. I think through a lot of these successful folks that they, you see that they have a system and a process for effectively and efficiently hiring people. Uh, I was thinking of Doug Davidoff, that conversation we had in episode 44, where they break their year down into quarters and they think about, you know, what are the different types of positions we need to hire? And then what are the, like, what are the triggers for those different positions? So not only do they have a process for hiring, but they know when they're going to hire before they even really, really, really feel that pain. They've got those triggers in place. Uh, so I just think like no matter where an agency is at, they're always going to be rolling through different phases of development. And if you're an agency owner listening to this and you're at that phase where you've proven success, you've proven that you can sell this idea and you want to take it to the next level. There's some awesome, awesome insight in this, in this season, uh, some stuff that can help you kind of follow in the, in the path of folks who've done it and who've done it well. Um, and so I think that, when you look at these different agencies and the way that they're set up, there's kind of two distinct paths paths you can follow. There's sort of the in-house full-time employee route, and then there's the remote team route. Um, and so, especially when you look at some of the folks who are strong internationally, like I'm thinking of Perry at Penguin Strategies, like he has team members here in the U.S. that are remote contractors. Um, like there's a lot of different ways you can grow your team. Uh, but when you think about that gray and like growth strategies, who you're going after, any thoughts or insight come out of any of these past conversations? Yeah, I'd say that just talking to everybody, the common thread that ran through pretty much everyone who we talked to was just the overall concern that they have for taking care of their people. Yeah. So whether that's in person and you've got uh, like Greg at wider group, talking about his modern family culture and just how close everyone is and drew Himmel at PCR where they do like a weekly mentorship meeting and they do fun activities outside of work. You've got uh, in person, all these in-person examples of people who are investing back into the culture and the team that they have in person. But then you also have like Ryan Malone at SmartBug, and they, um, you know, they have a, a great team and a great culture in the way that he's chosen to still treat everyone as a full-time employee and make that, that just, that is one of the tools that he uses to signify the underlying commitment to the people who he brings onto the team and investing in highly qualified people in, as opposed to just a bunch of interns or, you know, a less structured organization that they have. So I think that in terms of, in terms of the two different models there, and I, I think there's variations, but I mean you're either – in some ways it's just a binary. You're either in person or you're remote. Yeah. And then I guess I guess maybe the quadrants are also you're either full-time or you're not full-time. But I don't think it's like you can only succeed with this. I think it's at this point you don't even need to say like you can only succeed with this or that. You can be successful with either one. It really depends on – what your objective is and then how you structure things and how you care for people and how you care for your clients. And Perry, uh, who you just mentioned from Penguin Strategies, he said, you know, you need to treat your team like you treat, like you'd like them to treat your clients. And I think that that's, 
that's kind of the baseline expectation that that you need to have for yourself that needs to be the status quo of you as an agency owner in order to grow a successful team and culture. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole lot that goes into it, but I think just having that, having a strategic vision in place first is going to help every agency owner out who's listening to this to put a system in place to get to where they want to go. Not just kind of fumbling through it step-by-step learning and going, uh, wondering through things like that, but actually putting a plan in place and following that plan and deciding first, what is the type of an agency that you want to build? Because if your goal is to build an agency you love, you need to define what that looks like first. So you don't want to just look at another agency and say, I'm going to go copy them because I want to be just like them. Figure out what you want really first. What does the end result look like? And then build the team to help get you there. Uh, I think, great. that's a transition into some of the struggles and pains that we felt here growing our companies. Um, you know, do inbounds in a growth phase right now. We are hiring folks, growing our content team, our production team, our development team, um, you know, have, after having grown the agency team and now working on this side, um, you know, what are some lessons that you've learned or what are some things that you look for as you walk through this process? Yeah. Well, I think first, just to outline for people, I think that our goal, Dimmer, has solidified an awful lot or kind of what at least what the workplace is going to look like in terms of, hey, we are going to be uh, at least at this at this stage in the company and for the foreseeable future, we are going to be a largely remote team. Uh, we're remote right now. And so that's going to impact ways that we do things. So I think that kind of having that, the goal has definitely solidified or at least the the reality, although it's nice to get in person and we still value that time, we now make that happen as the exception and not the rule. And so instead of having a work from home day every day, there's a work together in person <laughs> two days every month and then week every quarter. So I think to me, I mean, that having that goal solidified has helped a lot. And then obviously there's, there's pain points and all kinds of, you know, ups and downs that come along with trying to achieve that in the way that we've chosen to scale this thing. So I think we can get into some of those specifics in dimmer kind of before we, uh, before we move kind of too far into this conversation there, I think a lot of folks are familiar with remote teams, but I think that there's this, um, there's a lot of folks who struggle with the idea of how do I build a successful remote team. So I wonder if you, do you want to share why we've chosen to do what we do and then kind of how we envision and have, and have begun to achieve that vision of building a remote team? Yeah. So I mean, from the beginning, Gray, we, we've had this mindset as we get into business together that we want to define our lifestyle first and then have our business fit our lifestyle. Because if you look around at entrepreneurs that you know, um, specifically um, ones who've been in business for a good number of years, it's hard to find one that doesn't have their life defined by the demands of their business or they are constantly bringing that business into the home and the home life is then dictated by the business. And just from the onset, like we wanted to build companies that helped us achieve our goals that helped us do what we want to do. We didn't want to have to bend to the company because in that sense, when I think about that, you know, why don't I just go and get a job somewhere where they're already going to take care of the benefits. They're going to take care of the stable salary you know, and then when it's time to go home, I can just go home and I don't need to think about it. If I'm going to build a business, I want it to, to match with the lifestyle that I want to live um, and grade that you want to live and that our families want to 
live with us as well. So that, that point of just defining first what do you want it to look like and then building the business to match that, I think that's a fundamental philosophy here where you don't need to be victim to the business that you build. You can build the business that supports you and what you want to do. So from the onset, that's been our mindset. And I'd say what we want to do, that statement has shifted and formed over the past five years as we've been in business together. But the core, the core root of it of, you know, we want to be able to spend intentional time with our family. We want to be able to be active in our community and volunteer and coach sports and do all those sorts of things. Uh, we want to travel. We want to uh, be engaged in our family, extended families' lives and all those things. That has remained consistent throughout all of it. So um, I think starting with that, what is your kind of your stake in the ground first? And then once you have that established, figuring out how does the business form and build to support that? You know, we're lucky today to be in this industry because like you've heard from so many of the guests on here, you know, you can hire the best. You don't have to worry about hiring the folks that live within 10 miles of your office or 20 miles of your office. If you go with a remote team and you're intentional about it, you, know, you can hire a fantastic group of people. I mean, we have a global team here. That's pretty awesome. And not only do we have a global team of people kicking butt, we also have a company that's fitting our lifestyle. So you need to decide first, who do you want to become? That's why at Do Inbound, our, our motto is build the agency that you love. If that's a 50-person, in-person team, hey, that's fantastic. Go for it. Go make it happen. But if maybe it's a maybe it's more of a lifestyle business. If that's your thing, go for it. That's great. Maybe you want to build a network of um, you know, remote employees that have a really tight organizational culture. Um, if that's your thing, go for that. You know, define what you want and then build the business to make it happen. So I'd say that mindset, Gray, has really impacted our entire hiring process and the types of people that we want to work with. Because it takes you got to have a, a like-minded employer, like-minded team member who who wants to live in that kind of environment. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got, just to give folks some more specifics on our situation, because this is something that we've gotten questions about, uh, not just the, not like, hey, what's your situation? But more like, how do I build this and make this work? Mm-hmm. So uh, not that we have all the answers. We've got a lot of growing pains, and we've tried to be open about that on this podcast, and obviously we'll continue to be, and we're going to continue to go through those. But um, so right now, We've got a small core team. We're all remote, and we don't have any company employees for Guava Box or for Do Inbound. Everybody is structured as a contractor. Now, we do have contractors who are working in a full-time capacity. They've got a structured, uh, you know, a very structured role. They work on their own hours. It's kind of what Michael Reynolds talked about. He talked about a results-only work environment, the row workplace. And so that is one of the goals that we have is to say, hey, here are the areas that you have to take ownership over. Here are the results that are expected, but we're not going to sit there and count the hours that you put in or say that you need to work these, you need to work eight to five every single day. Um, Everyone has flexibility and everyone on the team takes advantage of that flexibility because of that shared vision on the lifestyle and the ability for me, you know, there hasn't been a year since uh, since we started this business that I haven't been coaching um, us during the spring. And so for me, when I need to leave to go to baseball practice at 3 o'clock and then get home at 6 o'clock, 
uh, I've got the flexibility to do that and everyone else kind of enjoys that same flexibility in the work that they have. So, and there are a number of reasons that we've gone the contractor route versus uh, like Ryan Malone has done where they've, they have the remote team, but it's employee, uh, it's on an employee basis. And I think that there are at some point as our uh, core team expands or our extended team expands and our core people have a less defined job role, you know, at some point we're not going to meet the regulations to continue to be a contractor. And so the benefits that are in place right now uh, with having contractors on the team, you know, that's going to become a situation where legally it's a, you know, it's just a mandate that these people need to be employees. So I, I think that that's going to happen in, in the future, but, um, but that's where we are right now. So we've got a core team of folks who are mostly, uh, who, who kind of have a full-time commitment. This is the core focus. And then an extended team of folks who are maybe more of the, uh, skill positions or maybe more of a defined skill position who are remote. So that might be, uh, or, or rather who aren't just remote, but who are also uh, part-time or part-time to full-time depending on the workload at that point. So whether that be developers or copywriters or designers, um, that's what the extended network looks like. And Andrew, I've been babbling for a little while. <laughs> I can think of some pros and cons that I'd want to throw out to people if they're thinking, uh, why do you guys choose this aside from the the flexibility or also what are the cons if I'm trying to build it this way? Mm-hmm. But, but what are some things that you'd want to point out to folks who are thinking about building an agency in this way to keep in mind uh, both on the upside and the downside? Uh, first thing I do is it's a hire slow. Like that's a story we hear over and over again listening to these interviews, Gray. That's something that we can attest to. You know, we tried to hire, oh gosh, what was it, a year and a half ago? Someone to come in and help us with sales at Guava Box. It was a fast hire. There's someone who had worked at HubSpot in the past. We get all excited about it, and it just fell flat on his face. They absolutely sucked. Um, so you can see why they got fired from HubSpot. But that was that was a learning experience because we figured out like you can't just look at someone's resume, talk to them once on the phone, and say, "Oh yeah, this is going to be great." You've got to put in the time and understand who they are because we lost a lot of money on that deal. We lost a lot of time on that deal. At the end of it, we didn't have anything to show for it. Um, you know, we've had other experiences like that where we've brought people in and we've spent a ton of time training them, getting up to speed only for them to walk away and do something else. So I think the hiring slow, defining the type of an environment that you're going to create, defining what your organizational chart is going to look like so that when you do hire people in, you've got a structure in place to give them so they know these are the bounds in which I, you know, I operate. Not necessarily like here's exactly where I need to spend my time every day. Here's, you know, all that kind of stuff, but give them at least an, enough restrictions to be creative or enough um, structure to feel empowered so that they can really, really do their job well and you know the type of people that you need to hire. So take that process slow, find the right people. And I, I mean, I really like, Gray, the project-based idea of starting first with, um, you know, contractors who are doing the different tasks. Like I think back to the conversation with Doug Davidoff where, the reason that they're hiring a content writer right now is because the cost of paying freelancers to do this has exceeded what one full-time copywriter could do in-house. So you know, that's a great indicator. It's time to hire a full-time person because we're already spending this money. If at any point you can do that in your agency where you're already spending the money on something else, now's the time to bring it in. I think that's much safer as a business 
than trying to open up a line of credit or leveraging your salary or you know doing whatever to hire someone before there's money there to pay for it that's a very very risky situation so in whatever situation you can you can keep it on a project base with someone um, as you continue to grow unless you have you know a, a financial backer or someone who can foot that bill for you you know it's always better to have the business locked in and then you can you can always hire someone who was part-time up to full-time you've always got that structure in place so looking back right I think that's I think following that path being more defined up front is what I would change in our story I, I do think I would do the contractor route again and, and bring people in especially for like the skill positions because like a content writer if you structure your things right and you can batch all of your work together they you can work with them in more of like sprints and less you know everyday kind of work same with a graphic designer you'll have uh, peaks and valleys with that type of a position all the time it's hard to put enough work on that person's plate to keep them engaged over the long term like a client strategist someone like that that is someone that might make more sense to bring on full-time but because they're working with clients on a daily basis so but putting that operational structure in place first is what i think would really really help us out if we did it again today yeah i think the the test project thing is a really big deal just starting people and saying hey before we make any kind of formal commitment um you know, we're testing everybody out with, hey, here's something that's going to give you an opportunity to understand what it's like to work with us, give us the opportunity to understand what it's like to work with you, what your uh, communication style is, what your responsiveness and turnaround looks like, and what the quality of your work is. Mm-hmm. So try and give them something meaningful that's part of, you know, it's a real project and pay for that. Um, but that's a great way to start off before making a larger commitment and sinking a ton of time into things. We, we've we kind of moved to a model where that test project happens pretty early on. That's not the end. That's not the final thing that happens before someone gets hired. That's a pretty early uh, kind of gauge on quality and just the most realistic way we found to gauge what's it going to be like to work with this person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think that is a big deal. I think um, – one of the cons, I mean, the obvious upside with a contractor who's not full-time, especially if it's on a um, a rate, whether it's an hourly rate or a per-project rate, is you don't have the full-time commitment. You haven't made the hiring commitment, added somebody into your payroll, and made a commitment that it's either uh, we keep you hired or we fire you um, type of commitment. So if you need somebody, like a graphic designer, you need them for – 40 hours this week, but you need them for 10 hours next week, mm-hmm. you can scale up and down. So there's the potential at least to have substantial cost savings, especially in those awkward in-between times where you're not ready for somebody. You don't have the capacity, you don't have the need for someone to come on full time, but you, you do need somebody to come on and help you out part time. Yeah. I so that's, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, one, one thing that came to mind as you're sharing that is um, you got to treat the people well. And so, like, you've got an option out there. You can go to a content farm to, like, post a blog post to it or post an ebook to it, and then a bunch of people um, try to claim it, and then they create it for you, and they spit it back out. There's a ton of sites out there that do that kind of work, and I know a lot of agencies use them. I would advise against that as much as possible because the more of a personal relationship that you can build with your graphic designer or with your copywriter, the more they get to know you, you know, the better work you're going to get. Because if you invest in that human relationship, you're going to build trust there. You know, just like the inbound process, your leads are building trust with you through the through the funnel. You want to do the same thing with your contractors. 
with your team members, you know, the contractor is just a legal structure that you're operating under. Treat these people really well. Don't be afraid to pay for the work, pay for good things, and you're going to have a much more stable experience in the long run than if you're trying to pinch your pennies and just get the most, the highest ROI out of your, you know, the number of blog posts you're creating for clients. Um, don't be afraid to invest in the people relationship because over the long term, that's going to dictate how successful you are is the quality of the stuff that you're producing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a really big point and something that we've benefited from by having contractors who are spending a lot of time working on our projects is, mm-hmm. and this is one of the arguments for, um, for having employees is full-time people who are thinking about your work. And I think that that, uh, thinking about the business and understanding the context and the bigger picture is a really valuable part of, uh, anybody's work. It's hard to just bring somebody in and say, go design this or, or keep designing this. Um, if they need to, if they need to be involved in a strategic element at all, it's going to be really rough if you're just pulling somebody who doesn't have the context that there's a lot of context that's required for value to be added there. So I think that that's something to keep in mind if you are using contractors. You're trying to build, you're not trying to just hire the cheapest person, get something done, move on to the next uh, cheapest person who you can find. I think the better way to go is to not put all this emphasis on are they a contractor versus an employee, but say, hey, I'm trying to find people whose goals meet our goals and who are in this for the long haul together with us um, and then figure out what that looks like and uh, either hire as an employee or hire as a contractor according to what makes sense. But um, but I think it's it's less about the employment status yeah. and, and more about building those relationships that are going to last. Putting the people first, my man. Yep. Well, that's a lot of rambling, Andrew, uh, about kind of our situation and some of the lessons that we've learned. There's a lot more that I'm sure we'll get into as we as we go on to the podcast. One thing, I guess one last thing I'll say there, and then if there's anything you want to add on that. Um, but just the one of the things that came up, Greg from Wider Group mentioned this, and so did a bunch of other people this season, but just never stop interviewing. Always be looking mm-hmm. for people. And, and we've got – a uh you know we've got a whole database of folks who we've either interacted with before and thought oh this person would be great to work with or we're actively searching for right now or folks who've gotten in touch with us in the past and said hey I'd like to work with you and maybe we just didn't have the opportunity or it wasn't the right fit at that point um but that's something that we've definitely learned and I think just a a huge takeaway is just always be looking for talent and uh invest in those relationships early so that when you need them and you're getting closer to needing them and you're forecasting that and anticipating that you've got the stable of talent that you can go back to and yeah. uh and rely on those relationships yeah one last thought i have is when you're if you're a young agency listening to this and you're just getting going and you've sold your first or your second client um you know we see it all the time when we're working with doing customers is you're a young agency. You just sold your first thing. You've been, you've spent a lot of time building your marketing plan, getting your marketing out there. And when you sign that first client, everything stops. If you do have stable cash flow coming in and you can walk through this process, I encourage you to walk through it as soon as you can. Just getting contractors on board to help you out. So get yourself out of the servicing as quickly as possible. On the whole, I think that's a, a good place for an agency owner to be. You don't want to be on every call with a client. You don't want to be that deep in the process. You want to have a system and a team that can fulfill the services because 
in order to be sustainable, you've got to have that structure in place. So I encourage you to walk through the process of building an, uh, sort of an agency framework and then being the guide through that. Sure, at the beginning, you're going to need to do some client work, and that's okay. But as fast as you can get a team in place and get out of that role and do it smart so you're not over-leveraging yourself, work towards that. It's not okay to just be always selling and servicing and trying to spin all those plates at the same time just so that you protect yourself. you got to grow at some point or you're in the wrong business. Yeah, definitely true. Let's transition here, Dimmer, and let's talk about what's coming up next on the Mm -hmm. podcast because we are revealing some news today uh, about kind of a little little mini season coming up and then what's going to follow that. So do you want to lead off and I'll add anything in? Yeah, I'm really excited about this. Um, So we are going to be working on season five that is upcoming. Uh, but it does not start next week. What you're going to find next week is a mini-series on the making of Inbound Agency Journey Season 5. We're going to kind of open the curtain up and bring you guys in as close to real time as possible. Uh, We get a lot of questions here about how we run our podcast, what does our process look like, uh, how do we get guests on, what does the flow look like for a guest, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to just walk you through that process in a couple of episodes so you're going to learn behind the scenes about how the interviews got set up. And then in season five, we're going to have uh, 12 awesome episodes with uh, some amazing inbound agency owners. And we'll kind of reveal that as we go through this this little process here. But this is your chance to kind of come behind the curtain, uh, sit alongside us here as we chat with some of the, the best and the brightest in the inbound agency world. I am really excited for this. It's I think definitely. folks are I think folks are gonna enjoy hopefully hopefully they enjoy <laughs> hopefully they either learn or they enjoy. I think ideally it'd be both. Yeah. But if we could only have one, I don't know which one I'd pick actually. I wanna teach people. Teaching is definitely a passion, but I really like helping people have fun. <laughs> so Well let's just go for both. Let's just let's try that out, see if that works. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited for this. It's gonna be a little bit different kind of like bringing you into the process as you go, but it's going to be fun. We're going to have a good time doing it, and I hope you guys enjoy it as well. So stay tuned next week for that first episode of The Making of Inbound Agency Journey Season 5. I think you're going to like it. Gray, any final thoughts here before we wrap her up? No. uh, Make sure if you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, if you are catching this uh, online through the website. Make sure that you go to iTunes, click through the post, and subscribe to this podcast so that you get those when they first come out. Thank you for listening to Inbound Agency Journey. You can find the show's notes for today's episode at doinbound.com slash podcast. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe or leave us a review of the show. Until next time, remember, life is a journey. Keep moving forward.